Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Metal, Schmelk, you. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. It's all presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Well, the Giants got the weekend off after playing Thursday night and losing to the Patriots 35-14. to uh, They were back in the facility today taking questions from the media. They had a practice out there in shells. We'll talk about that. We'll do a little recap of the weekend games and how that relates back to the Giants. Lance, we heard Pat Shermer talk today. We heard from Jabril Peppers. We heard from newly acquired Buck Allen, by the way. Uh, Javoris or Buck Allen, your choice apparently. Uh, he's on the <laughs> roster now. Benny Fowler is back. Alex Tanney is back. So those guys are new additions to the roster. We heard from two of those guys, Allen and um, Fowler. We also heard from Jabril Peppers today, Evan Ingram, head coach Pat Shermer. Lance, what jumped out to you? Well, first of all, I think the claims that Evan Ingram made when he spoke to the media, John, was probably the first thing that jumped out to me. He seemed very optimistic. He says he's feeling a lot better. He specifically said that, if you recall, last year when he was dealing with a similar knee injury, he feels it's not nearly as difficult to overcome as last year's was, which cost him multiple weeks. So all signs are trending in the right direction. All signs are pointing in the right direction for Evan Ingram, I think, to be back out on the field for Sunday's game, which I think is really good news for the Giants. Two quotes. I had to tweet them out today uh, for the Giants. Uh, today was a very good day, Ingram said, in terms of his recovery and how he did on the practice field. He also added he's, quote-unquote, pretty optimistic about playing this week. So good spot. Yeah, so that I think is a big positive. Saquon Barkley did not speak to the media, but if you've been following him on Twitter, he seems to be very anxious to get back on the field. Had a hype video that he sent out the other day that says he's going to be back soon. You can read into that as you may, but they do have other running backs now in the mix with Buck Allen joining the group. So that's an experienced running back. He carried the way in Baltimore for a few seasons from 2015 to 2018. So, you know, you're talking about another experienced guy that could also catch the ball to the backfield if Saquon is not ready to go and, and he's somebody that is now slowly learning and adjusting to the new offensive scheme. So, you know, in the NFL, life comes at you quick, John, as you well know. you got to be immersed into the situation. You know, the good news for a guy like Benny Fowler is, who also talked to the media, uh, Benny said it was almost like he never left the team because he watched the game on Thursday night with a number of the injured players at Sterling Shepard's house, he was telling the media, and then he also has been going out for dinner with a lot of his teammates, so now it's just a matter of he's allowed back at the facility because he's once again a member of the team, but at least the Giants know in the event that they're not fully healthy at the wide receiver position, once again, just like when they brought back TJ Jones, they have somebody that knows the offense very well. Yeah, Pat Shermer was cagey in terms of Saquon Barkley, said we'll just have to see, so no additional word on him. Also, Sam Beal eligible to start practicing this week. He can return from injured reserve uh, after week eight, and uh, Pat Shermer said you can expect to see him on the practice field on Wednesday. He was not out there today. Yeah, I think those were pretty much the main takeaways. They're looking already ahead to Arizona, John. That's the benefit, of course, when you play on Thursday night because Friday was a Monday for them. They reviewed the film, they made the corrections, and then over the course of the weekend and today, you get the additional practice, which is another advantage of playing on a Thursday to start preparing for a Cardinals team that got its second win yesterday 
uh, getting by the Atlanta Falcons after Matt Bryant missed that extra point after Atlanta stormed back. And you're going up against a rookie quarterback who is getting more and more comfortable as the weeks go along. I, I always say this. There are no layups in the National Football League, John. I don't care whether you've seen in previous week the team gave up 100 points or they were up and down. Anything could happen in the NFL. I think we saw that to a certain degree yesterday, and it's going to be well-documented moving forward. It's a week-to-week league, man. Yeah. You don't know one team can look great one week. The next week they can come out and not look great. Then they can look great the week after that, especially when you have a young quarterback like Kyler Murray who's coming to his own. He played really well against against the Falcons, which I thought was telling. And, yeah, I mean, you just don't know week in, week out. And I think heading into this game, you're at home. You're playing against another team that doesn't have a great record. So you circle it. This is a game that maybe expect to win is a little bit strong, but it's a game that you fully expect you should have every opportunity to win if you play well enough. This isn't a situation where you're going into New England without half your offense or you know, you're even hosting a Vikings team who's really, really, really good. This is a game where if you play well enough, you should be able to win the game. And I'm frankly, I bet you the Cardinals heading into New York are saying, you know what? This is a game we can yeah. win too. Against Absolutely. a team that's, you know, sitting there at two and four. So you have to come out, you have to play well. The Cardinals certainly not on the level of the Vikings or the Patriots or the Cowboys. Well maybe the way Dallas is playing now, yes. But just take a look at the team. You gotta go out there. You gotta play well. Because like you said, Lance, as we saw in the NFL on Sunday, any given week, a team can play well or play poorly, and more so than talent. How well you play now, the teams are so close together for the most part talent-wise, that's going to determine whether or not you win these games. Yeah, it comes down to execution, John. It comes down to matchups. You know, sometimes you get a team that may not have a lot of household names, but you know what? They match up well with you, and that's why they get the better of you. You also get sometimes an opponent that turns the ball over like crazy that one week, and they had been very good at protecting the football. Now, case in point, the Thursday night game, against the Patriots, it's a 14 nothing game. Then all of a sudden, it's tied up. Well, what happened, John? You got two big explosive plays because Golden Tate holds in the touchdown, and then Lorenzo Carter, the strip sack, Marcus Golden returns it for a score. So, you know, that just goes to show you you had one relatively healthy team against one beat-up team, but now the margin was non-existent in terms of the disparity between the teams because the Giants had those two explosive plays, and then the Patriots regroup. But that just goes to show you, you know, it's a cliched line, but I think there's validity behind it. Sometimes games really do come down to one or two plays, and it's the team that makes the consistent stops, holds on to the football, and comes up with the big plays that yeah. usually walks away with the W. And makes the important plays at the right time. Yeah. Timing is everything. No question about it. You have the Seahawks and the Browns. The Browns come out to a big lead in that game. Seahawks come roaring back. The Browns, from, I'm talking to a couple of my guys out in Cleveland. Fans are kind of in a panic over the quarterback out there. Not happy with the coach either. A lot of interceptions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Redskins hold on to beat the Dolphins. Dolphins go to two, go for two at the end of that game. Not a very well-executed final yeah, two-point conversion attempt. Drops the football. Yeah, but even if he catches it, he's not that's getting true. in. Yeah, he didn't have much uh, wiggle room there. I think that's a fair synopsis. Chiefs lose two in a row. I mean, how often have we said that the last couple of years since Patrick Mahomes yeah, became the quarterback? And also, Houston went into Arrowhead and won that game, by the way, which is a very difficult place to win. Second loss at home for the Chiefs now this year. So that's a big deal. Look at the Dallas Cowboys. Did anybody think that they were going to go play the Jets and lose 24-22? Granted, they had injuries on offense with Tyron Smith, Leo Collins, Dole Randall Cobb, and Mark Cooper missed almost the entire game. But put the offense aside. That defense looks like a completely different group than what we've seen last year and even the first couple games this year when the Giants played them. 
Chargers come out against the Steelers' third-string quarterback, and they go down 21-0 in the game. Phillip Rivers. 24-0, actually, got to a point. Yeah. Phillip Rivers looks like he's lost a step. Uh, we talked about this before the season started. It looks like teams continue to figure out what the Rams are doing on offense. The Niners, it's 20-7, to but that felt like a much more dominating game than just 20-7. to The Rams could do nothing with the ball offensively. Uh, the Titans bench Marcus Mariota. They get shut out by the Broncos, 16-0. So... I mean, the Falcons are 1-5. I picked them to win the division. Defensive injuries. Keanu Neal's out at safety. Arizona had a field day, just like every other team that has gone up against that Atlanta defense. But Atlanta's got an explosive offense to keep them in games and get them back in games, which you saw yesterday against Arizona. It's a very topsy-turvy league. And that's why sometimes you need more than four games to really figure out a team. But I will say this, to just bring it back to the NFC East, which I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners are more invested in than what else is going on around the league, John. I didn't I mention actually, the Eagles. Yeah, the Eagles getting beat up by the Minnesota Vikings. And I tweeted this out a uh, few hours ago. If you look at the records at this time last year compared to the records this time this year, I mean, it's almost like a mirror image right now. Nobody runs away with this division very early in the season. Last year, after six weeks, the Redskins were 3-2. and two, The Cowboys and Eagles were 3-3. Three and three. They're both 3-3 three and three again. And if you remember, the Giants were 1-5. The Cowboys well, were 3-5 and five before they went on their run yeah, last year. Yeah, they acquired Amari Cooper, yep. and then things started rolling. But yeah, they were hovering around 500. They fell even below 500. Uh, Philly was really up and down, and Philadelphia and Dallas both went on to make the playoffs. Dallas won the division. Philly is a wild card. So... I don't think anything is that stunning to me that no. most of these teams are grouped together and Dallas is going to play Philadelphia this coming weekend. So, you know, somebody, unless they end up in a tie, is going to get their fourth win of the season. Somebody's going to get their fourth loss. And, you know, it's going to be week to week until we see maybe one team start to click. But good luck trying to do that in the NFC East. <laughs> I know. Or right? the NFL. I mean, Well, yeah, but, but specifically the NFC East. Yeah. I, I bring that stat up again. I'm going to say it again. Nobody's won back-to-back division titles since the Eagles won four in a row from 01 to 04. So until that trend ends, we're going to continue to talk about it. And the Vikings didn't just beat the Eagles. They destroyed the Eagles 38-20. to And that Eagles pass defense, it continues to be an Achilles heel for them, Lance. And if you take a look at what they do week in, week out, and I think has, some of it has to do with how Jim Schwartz plays. He puts those cornerbacks and man-to-man coverage out there on islands with not a lot of help. And frankly, they have trouble covering. And we see when they play teams with very good wide receivers, they have trouble staying with them throughout the game. Stephen Diggs ate them for lunch. Yeah, I don't even know. Game. You know, it's funny you said they have trouble covering them, John. Was anyone covering him? They, they tried. <laughs> well, because just unsuccessfully. <laughs> I watched a good portion of that game. Yeah, me too. And... I don't know what was going on between the safeties and the cornerbacks. After every play, Diggs would run straight down the field, and then you'd have one guy look at the other guy. Uh, weren't you supposed to take him? <laughs> no, no, no. It was your job. So I don't know what was going on with the Philadelphia defense. And then the real backbreaker, and this is why you know football is such an entertaining sport to play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. And I think Doug Peterson is extremely aggressive. I like his aggressiveness, and usually it's worked out well. I didn't understand the fake field goal. I would have taken the points at that point when they were in such desperation to stop the bleeding. And, you know, that to me, three points off the board. Yeah, they lost by a big deficit. But still, it's all about momentum in the NFL. So I thought the Eagles, because they got behind so early, started to overthink things. But, yeah, a lot of mental breakdowns on the back end of that defense yesterday. Yeah, second straight monster game for Cousins, 22 of 29 for 333, four touchdowns and a pick. 
So now the Eagles and Cowboys both three and three. The Giants just one game back at two and four. The Riders, look, the Riders are trying to fill copy between now and Wednesday when the Giants <laughs> have their next media availability. And one story you could tell, and it made sense, if I was writing, I'd try to get the same story, was, oh, look, you guys look up. You're only one game out of first place. The coach wasn't biting. None of the players were biting. All Nor they kept they. saying, guys, we got to go out there win our next game, and the standings will take care of itself, which is exactly what they should be saying. Well, but also, John, has the storyline really changed much from the Thursday game to Sunday? Because this time last week, you yeah, had was one the game, Eagles so. and the Cowboys were 3-2, and two, and the Giants were 2-3. and three. So you could have said the same thing. They were also looking up just one game back then. And, if, and to their point, if the Giants do beat the Arizona Cardinals this week, and we'll see if they do... The Cowboys and Eagles play each other next Sunday night. So yeah. they're going to be tied with one of those teams if they manage to win this game, which is the whole point of uh, what the coach was, what Coach Shermer said. Take care of your own business. The rest will take care of itself. So the Giants are going to try to take care of business against the Cardinals on Sunday. Well, and speaking of Shermer, John, I actually like the line that he always uses, and he used this last season. We're going to play the games. We're going to see where the wins and the losses add up, and we'll assess the situation at the end of the season. And I understand it's a nice, playful line, but in all seriousness... That doesn't work well for daily newspapers no, no, and sports it talk radio either, by no, the way. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. It, it's inconvenient but for it, newspapers. It is the correct perspective, though. Well, it's 100 the correct perspective, but here's the other way. We just talked about how the division last year at this time was very similar, and then all of a sudden the Cowboys went on a run. What difference does it make if after seven weeks of the season, you're one game back, if you then don't take care of business following week seven. So I don't understand why everybody gets caught up in the standings this early in the season. Just like, for example, the Chiefs you were just mentioning have lost two in a row. And we were talking about Kansas City and New England being the creme de la creme of the AFC. And, and maybe that's not the narrative anymore because maybe somebody else is going to merge. The Rams look like they were picking up where they left off last season. San Francisco has been a pleasant surprise. Seattle without, you know, some of their pieces in the secondary that they've moved on from over the last few seasons have been extremely impressive. How teams start is not necessarily indicative of how they're going to finish. So I don't care whether you're one game around 500, above or below. Let's see a team actually get on a run and be consistent before we're sold on what they can do. And I don't think mm -hmm. any team in this division specifically has been able to show that thus far. And we talked about this before the year. I think we actually might have picked this division as the best top-to-bottom division in football, the NFC North with the Packers, Vikings, Lions, and Bears all over 500 right now. Now, that could change if the Packers beat the Lions tonight, which should be a very instructive game. Remember, the Giants do play the Lions in two weeks' time. Yeah. So, Giant fans should keep an eye on that game. The Lions are 2-1-1. If they beat the Packers, every single team in the NFC North will be over 500 after six weeks. That is not a very common phenomenon in the NFL. So it's been a very, very strong division in the NFC North. 201-939-4513. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of guess who? Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Line 2, Jerry and Virginia Pearson. Let's lead off with him. Hey, Jerry. Hey, it's Gary, but it's all good. That's all right, Gary. What's up? What's happening, Gary? <laughs> I just want to talk about uh, a little bit about Jones, but before sure. that, uh, you know, with this team, there's a lot of hope, even though we're coming off a loss. You know, I, I love the offensive line. I think they're giving Jones a lot of time. Um, you know, this, the young defense, uh, it seems like everybody's stepping up a little bit each week. Um, but what are your thoughts about Jones? You know, he's, he's, the positive is he sits in that pocket and he's so tough. He takes these brutal hits, um, but gives his guys, you know, 
more time. But at the same time, you know, he is taking these brutal hits. And as a coach, how do you how do you balance that, you think? Well, I, I think you actually hit a very interesting point, and I'm trying to bring up the stat um, from last week. Uh, Benjamin Solak, one of our uh, good friends over at the Draft Network, we have him on around draft time a lot, put up a really interesting stat, and I didn't have a chance to dig more into it. But um, the stat that he threw out there was that this was right after the Thursday game. Daniel Jones, I believe, has right now, at least before this weekend's games, had the highest pressure percentage of any quarterback in the league. Something like he was pressured on more than 40% of his snaps. And conversely, before Eli Manning was removed from the starting lineup, he had the lowest pressure percentage of qualifying quarterbacks in the National Football League. So now you sit there and you say, why? Well, maybe opponents and competition have something to do with it, though the Cowboys and the Bills certainly have very good defenses. And the way I look at it, and I'll try to look it up during the show here via Pro Football Focus, it has a lot to do with what you're talking about. Daniel Jones' ability to hold on to the ball, wait for the big play, buy some time with his legs, does allow you to make some plays, especially on third down. However... What we're learning as we do more and more advanced analytics, and we talked about this last year a lot with scrambling quarterbacks, when you have these quarterbacks that like to wait and wait and wait and hold the ball and sometimes hold the ball too long, that's how you get those big hits. That's how you get that second interception he had against the Patriots. So we talked about this with some of his people that covered him Duke heading after we, the Giants drafted him. Sometimes he doesn't want to give up on a play, and that can be a blessing. And that, in some ways, can be a curse. So that's something he's going to have to adjust as he moves forward. I agree. I think the offensive line does a pretty good job protecting him. But I think a lot of those quarterback hits have to do with the fact that maybe sometimes he tries to hold the ball a little bit too long to try to make a play when it's not there. Yeah, one of the interceptions, the second one that you're referring to against New England, it looked like he was trying to throw it out of bounds, except it was a little too late. And as a result, he got hit as he was trying to throw it out of bounds. And that's what made it a relatively easy interception for the New England Patriots. So, you know, that's an adjustment that he's going to have to make. Live to see another down. Live to see another play. As opposed to extend the clock in your head. And then, at the end of the day, offensive linemen can only block for so long. So there's going to be breakdowns. And that's why Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson were two of the highest sacked quarterbacks last season because just like Daniel Jones, they're extremely mobile quarterbacks. They also roam out of the pocket. They sometimes hold on the ball too long because they think they can make something out of nothing. And as a result, they took a lot more hits. So that's something that Daniel Jones is going to have to find the middle ground with respect to. All right. Thank you, guys. No, I appreciate the call. And again, that's a problem a lot of rookie quarterbacks have. And I talked about it with Daniel Jeremiah, who joined me on the Giants Huddle podcast last week. You can go check it out, uh, the Giants Huddle podcast. It's on Giants.com, the mobile app, all your favorite podcast platforms. Make sure you check it out. And he said, look, that internal clock thing is something that quarterbacks have to adjust to. And he's somebody that in college also got a lot of pressure. You know, the Duke offensive line wasn't blocking the Clemson defensive front. They would try, but they weren't. And he <laughs> yeah. got smacked around a lot. So this is the exact number from, from Ben. Uh, Eli Manning took pressure on 20% of his dropbacks before he was relieved of his starting role. Lowest among qualifying quarterbacks. Daniel Jones has been pressured on 46% of his dropbacks. Second highest among qualifying quarterbacks. Again, this was before the weekend games. So more than double the pressure rate on dropbacks. And I think that is very much related to how long he's holding the football. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I also think that 
you need to take into consideration Saquon Barkley hasn't been in the lineup. So I think that changes how defenses, too, John, are attacking the Giants. There's a lot of factors that go into uh, why that statistic is such a big difference between Eli Manning versus Daniel Jones. But it's a, a telling stat, and also it's something that Daniel Jones realizes, listen, in this league, you don't have a clean pocket all the time. And you know, as you mentioned, he knows that firsthand from playing at Duke. So, you know, that's the positive also, I think. What he experienced in college, you know, everybody talks about, oh, the Vikings and the Patriots was a rude awakening for him. And yes, it provided a different look at defenses that maybe the Bucs and the Redskins didn't show. But at the same time, you're also talking about a quarterback that dealt with a lot of unfavorable circumstances during his college career. So Daniel Jones knows what it's like when you don't have all pro wide receivers and running backs to throw to and hand the ball off to. Daniel Jones knows what it's like when pressure is coming at you. That, to me, is nothing new for him because he was exposed to that all throughout the course of his collegiate career. Bingo. And uh, just average time to pass attempt, Daniel Jones at 2.7 seconds. Average time, this is very telling, average time to sack, 3.62 seconds, Daniel Jones, according to Pro Football Focus. And just to give you an example, um, Eli Manning's numbers, time to sack was actually 4.2 seconds, so in which case Eli actually held it longer when he got sacked, but time to throw, 2.53 seconds. So, again, it just shows you, and guys, we see this all the time. How do veteran quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and those guys avoid sacks? They do it by getting the ball out. But you can do that because you're so advanced and experienced that you're able to get rid of the ball and know exactly what's happening. He's a rookie quarterback. He's a really smart kid. He is advanced for a first-year quarterback in doing these types of things. But this is how young quarterbacks tend to move along. A guy like Baker Mayfield is a perfect example, Lance. He's heading into his second year, right? He has a full season-plus of experience. He's still holding the ball too long. And he and then Jones has much better pocket presence than he does. Mayfield's bailing out of the pocket, not throwing the ball. You know, he's holding it. So this is a problem that a lot of young quarterbacks face. It's not one that I don't think is a is a long-term one that you have to, you know, really be worried about. But it's something that we've seen pop up from time to time early. And that's fine. That's not that big of a deal. Well, and that's why the more reps a young quarterback gets, you hope that that helps him in the long run. It was the same thing with Eli Manning. And not to get completely off topic, John, but you brought up the Lions. I'm actually very intrigued to see that game, maybe more so than this Arizona matchup, because he's going to be going up against a Matt Patricia defense. And by mm-hmm. playing New England already, John, I just wonder yeah, that's a good point. by being exposed to a Belichick defense, does that better prepare him for what Matt Patricia is going to throw at him because it's the same similar school of philosophy. And the reason I bring that up, and this has been well documented, so I don't think I'm necessarily telling anybody anything they haven't heard, but Matt Patricia and the Lions were very successful against the Rams last season, if you go back, during the regular season. He then consulted with Belichick in leading up to preparing for the Super Bowl to give some pointers. Did they talk about to each other? How that they could slow down Jared Goff and company. Now, I'm not taking away any credit from no, Belichick. That's interesting. But th- that's why I'm bringing that up because— I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Now, I don't know how much Patricia and Belichick are talking during the course of the season. Clearly, they know each other very well. But is it possible that when they have common opponents, John, and you know— an opposing coach who went up against that yeah, team? Maybe. Do you pick up the phone and be like, hey, what worked for your defense? Just throwing that out there. I'm not saying that I have any hardcore substantive evidence that shows that that's going to happen, but I think the similarities between Detroit and New England is going to be very interesting to see. And you have the tape, obviously, which you'll be able to take a look yeah. at and analyze. Joe in Pennsylvania is up next. Hey, Joe. 
Hey, hey, guys, my eyes are spinning from watching all them football games, the Eagles and the Cowboys and to the Yankees late, yeah, late it's, last night. It's a good night, thing. You know? A lot great going on. Thing. Great, yeah. great sports day on Sunday, except for the result of the Yankee game. Uh, well, I, I said there, too bad they didn't have a review on Sanchez there, ain't that strike call there. Oh, uh, Joe, hold on. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> on I'm the pitch before that, he missed now, it by about down. two feet. Yeah. Because I, 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 I got cut off the last time there. We're with, not cutting with you that, off. With here. But can when they can they throw a fine for uh, that low hit on uh, Jones? Yes, you can. Right, because it, could they could they have uh, penalized them on that when they reviewed that, even though he was doing it for pass interference? No, no. You could oh, only well. stick to one element of the play. They, see that they didn't want to do that because that would have opened up Pandora's box. Well. It, if it was a reviewable element, it could have been added, but that is not a reviewable yeah. element of the play. Well, but that's also uh, okay. the danger well, of reviewing pass interference. You pick up on other things. Right. Yeah. I was just thinking a penalty like that, if they could call it regardless if they see it. Isn't there some things like I thought you said when you review a thing that the refs can review everything? Or no. So, some no, 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 Joe. Joe, you can review every element of the play that's reviewable. So if the receiver, say, steps out of bounds before he catches the ball, uh. that's reviewable. If you see that there were 12 men on the field, for example, that's an element of the play that are reviewable. But the only actual penalty that's reviewable is pass interference. Other judgment call stuff is not subject to review. For example, oh. you can't review, and correct me if I'm wrong, you can't review illegal contact. Or, or, okay. or defensive so, holding. So, so meaning correct. if you see a play in which there's pass interference, but it's really illegal contact or defensive holding, you can't then change it to that call that's because correct. that's not reviewable. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, to, yeah. like I said, I was watching all these games. I don't know if our Giants was, and they were Yankee fans, too. Do they have curfews? Who has curfews? I, I, no, I, I don't think the Giant players have curfews on a Sunday <laughs> yeah. when they don't play until the following week. No, no I, I mean, our team players. No, they don't. Yeah. No, I didn't know if they do or not. I didn't no. know. I didn't no, know I, I don't think Joe. curfews or not. No, the, 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 oh. the only day they have curfews, Joe, is the night before the game. Yeah, that's uh, uh, and that's uh, okay. that's when they're so, actually you together just as a group. Talking, Lance, you were talking about uh, uh, playing the Lions to go with Trisha and that, but I think it's going to be a little different. Where a New England game, they concentrated on Jones a little more, stopping him. When we have Barkley in there, I think he's going to be the main thing to, to stop. That changes so the dynamics. There's no doubt about different it. Different there. No, I think that's uh, fair. Uh, what, what else? No, what I really called here. Trade lines coming up here, or so. When when's that here? Is there is that is that an end when you can trade? I will check. I'm honestly not even sure when the NFL trade well, deadline. Well, I'll check I it for you right now. Year they clean they cleaned house before the trade line with snacks and then it's guys, October 29th you know, yeah. is the trade deadline. Two weeks, two weeks from tomorrow. Right, like I said, I don't know. I've hear, heard rumors with Eli, but he'd have to accept it. I know I heard like the Bears maybe were making an offer, and, and I don't know if they would put up uh, a Jackrabbit or not because of why uh, uh, of his contract running out. But I would, you know, after after Beckham left. went yeah. last year, or so I wouldn't right. be surprised of anything. Well, so, uh, granted, uh, nobody is guaranteed to stay with a the team. There's no doubt about that. But you got to separate 
the rumorville which happens all the time around this time of the year versus what's actually reality yeah, and, yeah. and I mean as far as the Bears are concerned Mitchell Trubisky's coming back it's not a season-ending injury and Matt Nagy's got Chase Daniel who yeah. knows that offense backwards and forwards because he was with Matt Nagy going back to the days together in Kansas City I, I just I find that hard to believe that there's any substance even to that rumor yeah. that they even were thinking about acquiring a quarterback. Yeah, and Joey remember okay. uh, Joey remember right. the the Giants are going to have a ton of cap space next season to let go of a guy like Jenkins just to get some more cap room when he's your best starting cornerback, I'm not sure that's the best way no, to go. I don't like that either because even last year, I, I thought they did it a little too quick that we might might have been able to make the playoffs when they unloaded Snacks and a few other of them's there. But I'm, I'm just saying here now, uh, here with Jackrabbit, I, you know, because I, I, he, he, his contract's up. I'd like, I'd like to keep him. But do you think that there's any way Eli would come back next year at, at a lower price to be the backup? You think he would? I, I have, would love to have him. I have no idea what he's thinking, but just as a guess, I would consider that unlikely. And I would why, agree with why, John. Why, John? I mean, because he hey, doesn't want to. I'd love to have him in there. You know, as that. Um, you know, or do you think he'd rather just go and see if he can get a starting job? If he can't get a starting job, he's going to retire? I think Eli will do one of two things next year. He will be starting for a football team as their quarterback, or he will be sitting on the beach somewhere or spending time with his kids and enjoying his family after a very, very long career. Oh, I, I'd love to have him. You know the way Earl Morrow used to come in and the backups like that. You know what I mean? Uh, Sonny Jurgensen uh, there, they, they used to come in as backups and and take our bland that he used to come in. This is going back as far Yeah, I mean, you're here. going real back in time. Uh, yeah, the game has Brad, tremendously well, changed, Joe. Well, I mean, next me. you're going to start telling us about the 1920s in and, and 30s. And it, so. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Joe, appreciate, appreciate the phone the call. call. Buddy. I mean, listen, I'm a fan of history, but Joe, come on. The game has completely changed. First of all, the reason why the game has completely changed, Joe, is because it's very hard for teams to have the luxury to have cap space to pay an experienced backup quarterback. That's why a lot of teams draft guys and keep them as backups just to have a rotational group of young guys and see who pans out. You know, the days of the Cowboys paying Kyle Orton, I remember, you know, five or six years ago when Romo was banged up, and he would need to be paid five to six million dollars John to just be a backup quarterback most teams don't have that luxury and you think you know and I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves but do you really think Eli's going to come back and then he's also going to come back and he's going to make you know a veteran minimum contract too you know a lot of those guys don't want to do that if you're Eli Manning and you have a chance to ride off into the sunset and I had nothing I'm going to actually have days off here I'm not going to grind anymore I don't work these late nights you know it's one thing if you're doing it and you're taking home a nice paycheck you know, this is the same point I make when people say, why aren't more former players coaches? Do you want to know why more former players aren't coaches? Because you go from making, you know, millions of dollars a year to working three times as hard and making one twentieth of the salary. Would you want to take Bingo. that job? Yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> Hell with that. I'm going to retire with well, like millions of dollars and go buy a yacht. You don't see your family much during the course of no. the season, John, as it is. Now you basically won't see your family at Ever. all Ever. if you become a coach. Yeah, I mean, that's why that, there was a lot of questions that were posed our way. I'm sure you got them on social media, too. You know, Just make Alex Tanney the quarterback's coach. 
Well, first of all, has anyone had a conversation with Alex? Does he want to be a coach? Is he ready to retire? You know, that, that's also in his court. He's got to determine whether or not he makes that decision, even if, you know, that was posed his way. So it takes two to tango is the old phrase. You may think it's a good idea. That doesn't mean the other party involved actually wants to buy into that idea. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Enter in the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Manny in South Carolina, he's up next. Hey, Manny. Hey, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, actually. No problem. Um, big big fan of the show, guys. Been listening for a little while. Um, I won't hold you long. I got two things sure. I want to speak about. One was, um, I think we, I think, I mean, from reading up since last Thursday, I think everybody was a little hyped up on the way the defense played, and, and credit to them, they played fantastically. I wouldn't take that away from them. But I will, I, I wanted to note the fact that the Patriots' offense really hasn't played quite well this season. They've played really lackluster. I mean, their defense has carried them quite far. Uh, I think our defense held their own, considering we got our linebackers back. We were able to control their run game somewhat. And Tom Brady, I hate, I'm hate. i not going to be the guy that says Tom Brady's on his way down because we always know what happens when you say that. <laughs> but I'll say, uh, I'll say, I mean, that offense just hasn't looked like like the 2007 or 2011 no, New England Patriots. Manny, you're right. Manny, you're right. And look, they don't have great weapons anymore. Uh, you know, especially once Josh Gordon went out, they didn't really have a deep threat anymore. They're running out Gunner Olszewski at that one of their wide receiver spots, who's exactly. a converted quarterback. And they still, by the way, racked up 427 yards, which is the decent amount of yards. What the Giants' defense did really well in that game, A, they started the game strong. I don't think the Patriots didn't score in their first five possessions. But more importantly, even over the course of the game, they were very good situationally. Third downs, the Patriots Correct. converted 50%. But in the red zone, they only scored on three of their six opportunities, and they were 0 of 2 on fourth down. So that's how I the Giants' defense kept them in check. I think we've played relatively well on third, on, in the red zone. No, absolutely. We've given up a ton of yards, 20 to 20. You know, we've given up a ton of yards throughout the season, 20 to 20. But when you get down in the red zone, I think we've played decently, decently well football. Hey, Manny, by the way, Manny, real quick, if you're going to play the strategy that Betcher's playing, which is not blitz a lot, play a lot of zone, and be a bend but don't break defense, you have to play well in the red zone if you're going to run that type of defense, and it worked against the Patriots. Yeah, I do. Uh, my next thing that I wanted to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, my next thing I wanted to speak about was um, offense. Offensively, we, we looked like we struggled very, very well. I mean, very, very badly on, uh, in, this, in these last few games, but the, the point that I wanted to make is Honestly, I really think we played a pretty decent game. I mean, we didn't put, we didn't throw up a ton of points. We only got one touchdown in the last. I mean, we got two touchdowns between the last two games, one each. But if you look at it, if you look at it, I mean, Daniel Jones that first interception. I mean, that had, that ball was slightly behind Golden Tate. You put that ball maybe a foot further in front of Golden Tate, and that's a reception. That's a catch and not an interception. Well, of course, you know. And then we missed a deep shot. We missed we missed one deep shot this week. We missed two deep shots last week. You know, I think our offense. As bad as it looks, I think our offense is playing very well, uh, despite the fact that we we have all these injuries. And I don't want to use the injuries as a cripple, as a crutch, or anything, and say uh, this or that. But I think credit to those guys for the fact that like we really do have a chance in, in a lot of these games, and our offense is not far off. And the fact that we are only one game behind first place in the NFC East says a lot. And I think I hate to get on a high roll here or anything, but I think we really do. I mean, if if you start to look at it, when we get healthy. And we start to get some of these players back, and you and these and these younger guys are growing up. I, uh, uh, what's his name? The cornerback Baker. Yeah. He is. I mean, he's growing up. You know, he's growing up. He's getting better. Uh, Antonio Bethea has been a little bit of a letdown, but I have a feeling, you know, in the later part of the season, he's going to get stronger. I think we have a legitimate chance to make 
a playoff appearance this season. And I hate to – I'm a, I'm a glass-half-full guy. Of course, I'm a diehard Giants fan all my life. But I really think we have a legitimate chance if we get healthy in the right part of this season and we start to – we line up some of these games the right way, we have a chance at making – at appearing in the playoffs. And I think if we get in the playoffs, we're scary to play anybody. Okay, Manny. Thank you, Manny. Fair enough. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I'm more focused on week seven and talking about the Cardinals than necessarily what the playoff picture looks like. But I think the Giants have shown some encouraging results. There's no doubt about it based on what the caller just said. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I think also you can't overlook the fact, John, with respect to the defense specifically, the explosive plays are still being given up. Okay, New England had seven plays of 20-plus yards. And it's funny, those weren't necessarily plays that were deep through the air. It was a lot of run-after-catch stuff. Which brings into play the missed tackling again. Right, which wasn't as bad as it was no, against it Minnesota. It was but, an improvement, but it still wasn't perfect. But it, to the caller's point, okay, if the caller wants to point to signs of some deep throws on offense and you're just missing them, so that hopefully will continue to improve, then I've got to then use that same logic on defense. Well, we're seeing big plays. We're seeing missed tackles. You know, that has to improve. That has to be cleaned up no matter who the opposition is if you want to see better consistency on defense. I think the pass rush is starting to show consistency. Marcus Golden has looked really good. You know, Lorenzo Carter making a big play. So you want to see those flashes carry on. But you got to eliminate the explosive plays. And you also need to be able to capitalize on field position which I think sometimes the offense hasn't been able to cash in, specifically in the game against the New England Patriots. And you got to protect the football on offense. Yep. You cannot turn it over, and you have to take the ball away on defense, two things they have not done enough of over the course of the year. You know, takeaways are, have such a big impact on, on the winning and losing. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. They're minus seven in turnover differential right now. Minus seven. The fact that they're two and four right. is actually quite impressive. Let's talk about that. Okay, the fact that they're one game behind the division lead and two and four, despite being minus seven in turnover differential, that deserves credit. Forget all the other things that we brought well, up. Well, let's think. The two games they won, they were what? Even with Washington in that game? Yes, they were Correct. even with Washington four and four, I think. Right? Yeah, yes, each team that yeah, sounds there were right. Eight takeaways and, in that game. And how about the other win? Do you have that handy? Let me uh, bring up the document, and we will be able to get to the bottom of it because I actually updated it. Now that we had a Thursday game. Well, I know. You, you always do a very good yes. track into stuff, okay. which is why I asked. This way we don't have to think heavy. Yes. Okay, so here we go. So here's turnovers versus takeaways. So to answer your question, Redskins was even, 4-4. Mm -hmm. Bucks, they were minus. But just minus game. one, though. Minus one in that game. Vikings, they were even. And then the Patriots, they were minus two. But remember, the first two games of the season, minus four. So that's why right now it's 15 turnovers versus eight takeaways. And, and, and eight takeaways in, actually isn't that bad of a number this early in the year. It's no, not. well, th that, I don't know where they rank because I wait till the Lions-Packers game and then I'll get I can look that up. the status of the rest of the league. But I know this for a fact. Going into Thursday's game, they were had the most turnovers in the National Football League. Now, once again, I I'm not exactly sure whether or not they stayed consistently in that department, but I would say the fact that they turned the ball over four times... I'd say there's a very good chance that the Giants, Giants are still number one. 15 giveaways, lead, leads the league. There you Cleveland go. Cleveland at 14, they're okay. number two. In terms of takeaways, the Giants rank 15th, so right in the middle of the league. That's not bad. Yeah. But it's the turnovers that yep. you want to get out of the basement of, and minus seven is not a good position to be in because that's also at the bottom of the league. And here's the other thing that you got to be careful of. Not that this has been a trend, but... 
New England scored two touchdowns that had nothing to do with their offense, John. Okay, they had a special teams touchdown, and they had a defensive score. Now, the Giants also had a defensive score, but that's another way that you can easily lose games where you allow other facets of the opponent's teams to find a way to get into the end zone. Just to give people an idea, here's the bottom of the net differential in turnovers this year. Miami, minus 9. Giants, minus 7. Cleveland, minus 6. Jaguars, minus 5. Falcons, minus 5. Bengals, minus 5. All those teams? Yeah. What are they Two and four or worse. There you go. Okay? And keep going. Chargers, minus 4. They're struggling. Dallas, minus 3. They've lost three in a row. Rams, minus 3. They haven't played the best football this year. And then you have the Bills at minus 3, but their defense is so good they make up for it. So if you turn the ball over a lot and you don't get takeaways and you have in that big-time minus differential category, you're just not going to win. Well, and just as a means of comparison, now read the top of the list. Uh, New England... Plus nine. Pittsburgh, plus seven. And playing better football right now. Right. Last week, last night, I think that probably helped them a lot in that plus column, say right? Uh, Green Bay, plus seven. Carolina, plus six. Seattle, plus six. Chicago, plus six. So there you go. Those yeah, are all good teams. Exactly. About 500. Synonymous with wins and losses. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Dave in Cranford. He's up next. Hey, Dave. How you doing, John? How you doing, Lance? Well, great, Dave. What's Hi, up? Dave. Good. Hey, guys. Um... Always great talking with both of you, and, and when I see you on the line, I definitely always want to get get in. I appreciate to it. Kind of get your get your thoughts. I, I I think two two different things. One is on Daniel Jones. You guys have kind of hit it. I I think the thing that I'm most um, optimistic about. Um, I actually heard it from Troy Aikman, which was interesting on on the telecast last Thursday. The things that he does um, uh, poorly versus the things that he does well, and. And I think when you're trying to project a quarterback, you know, it, the things that, that he does poorly for those that watch the position and coach the position and know the position, they see them as many things that can be fixed. Right. They have to be fixed. Yeah, I agree. But they can they can be fixed. And and I think the optimistic side is that the things that you see in quarterbacks that tend to struggle and 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 even though they may be great as a runner or they might be have a great strong arm or whatever else, you know Daniel Jones, you know he's accurate and he he has a lot of the other things that um, that I think are harder to teach. Um, demeanor, calmness, you know, toughness, you know, even the, even the way that he's been holding the ball and taking hits. I mean, he definitely needs to clean up his internal clock, but it's a lot better to be able to teach a quarterback who's really tough how to do that to kind of survive a yeah, little Dave. better than it is to teach someone the opposite Yeah, of Dave, that. it's funny. Daniel Jeremiah made this exact point on, on the John Soto podcast when I talked to him, and he said he's had quarterbacks that have gone both ways, and he finds it a lot easier to rein in a quarterback that's always trying to make big plays and maybe be a little bit more aggressive, which might result in some turnovers. You know, Remember, he had to fit the ball into small spots at Duke all the time because of the competition difference. So he's doing that yep. here, and that's turning into some picks. He said to me that in his scouting background when he, when he was with the Ravens, it was a lot easier to take a guy that's willing to take those chances and rein them in than to take a guy that's ultra-conservative, doesn't want to take any chances, and to get them to be more aggressive. It's a lot easier to rein a guy in than to try to push somebody that, by nature, doesn't want to take those chances. So I'm with you. I think some of the stuff he's not good at, you can't correct it. Other stuff, you know, the stuff that he is good at is stuff that's almost innate and it's very hard to teach. So I think you make some good points. I'm with you. 
Thanks, Lance. And I, I guess or, for or both John. of you guys, John, uh, sorry, John and That's Lance, okay. uh, I, I, on a global level about the league, I, I just, and you, you kind of saw it yesterday. I mean, I was as shocked as anybody watching the Jet game. I was really happy for Sam Darnold. Not a fan, but but happy for him and, and just and, and how he played and yeah. happy they never got hurt. He's a good player, but man. I, He's a good player. He is a good player, and he seems like a good kid. But yep. I, at the end of the day, I think the thing that's fascinating to me is watching the expectations right now. It's only <laughs> week six, but you start to get a better color of what's going on in the league, and it's fascinating to me to watch fan bases, the media, and even you know the coaches and, and teams that you know, you've got a team like Dallas in particular, and I think you could throw the Eagles in, which is going to make it a fascinating game this week. I think you could throw the Rams in there. Um, I think the Browns, based on their preseason, I think they're part of this group. But you, it's, it's so interesting to me. When you look at the Giants right now, if you're honest, you look at this team and you say, hey, there's a lot of really good building blocks, but there's still a lot of holes. We need another draft or two. We need some good free agents. We've got things we've got to fill. Sure. And, and when, when we do that, the, the expectations are going to change as to, hey, this is, our, this is the team we're going to war with. Dallas is in a situation right now where this is the team they're going to war with. I mean, they're spending the money yeah. on these players. And when they have losses and the type of losses that they have, and, and by the way, the Eagles the same way, and the Rams, you know, are, are, I think are in the same boat. Heck, I would even say Kansas City, as great as Mahomes is, which is awesome, if their defense doesn't get fixed, I think a lot of people are going to be concerned that you're going to be able to scheme your way around them. So it's just an expectation question on the, on the league. And I know you guys not only follow the Giants really well, but you guys are, are great on the league. I, I'd just love to get your the, the difference where you can have the same record, but a record of a team that is expected to win and thinks that they've got their team next to the record of a team. So as you look at the Giants right now, yeah, of course, yeah, we're one game back. It's a different view from the fan base just on those expectations. No, Dave, we're with you, and 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 thanks a lot for the call. You're sitting there, you're Dallas coming off a you know ten and six season, you win the division, you have much different expectations than a team that was five and eleven the previous year, and one roster has is more veteran. They brought back a lot of the players. The Giants were still in the process of overturning their roster a little bit. So yeah, expectations are different. I don't think coaches or general managers look at it that way. I don't think they give a damn about that sort of stuff. But from the outside looking in, from a fan base and how people react to them, yeah, sure. Yeah, the reason why GMs and coaches don't look at it that way because nothing's guaranteed. If you finish ten and six, uh, you don't start with seven wins to begin the following season and you just got to win three or four games so and after the year if you have a poor year and your owner calls you in for you to explain yourself you don't say well no one expected us to be good anyway yeah <laughs> that you can't use that rationale too no. that's not going to buy you a contract <laughs> extension no i don't think so i'll guarantee you that but i i do think you know dave brings up a good point consistency though is what frames expectations and a lot of the teams that he threw out have consistently been in the playoff hunt for the last few seasons. The Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Rams, and the Chiefs are four teams that have been in the thick of things over the last few seasons. Since Sean McVay took over the Rams, they've been a competitive team. Dallas has won three of the last five division titles. The Eagles have been a Super Bowl champ, and they've also been in the wild card hunt. And then, of course, Kansas City, since Alex Smith even was there, they were a consistent playoff force. So very different outlook for those teams versus the Giants. And to me, it's not so much about the makeup of the roster this year. It's more of what they've been doing over the last three or four years. But, you know, this is also important to note. 
And it just goes to show you what we started off with, John, how it's a week-to-week league and why I hate strength of schedule and I hate when people sit down at the beginning of the season, that's a win, that's a loss, that's a win, that's a loss. If you would have told me, John, that the Jets were going to play the Cowboys in week six and the Cowboys were going to be without Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith and Amari Cooper and Randall Cobb, yeah, my outlook of that game probably would be much different than what it would have been at the beginning of the season if you would have told me Dallas would have been fully healthy and going up against the Jets team that was very much up and down. And yes, they were getting their quarterback back who was out a few weeks with Mono, but they still had a lot of questions. I think that completely changes the conversation. I also think what changes the conversation with a team like Kansas City, where you have them coming off a loss against the Indianapolis Colts that sort of provided somewhat of a blueprint. Okay, how do you slow down Kansas City? You win the time of possession battle, you wear down the defense, you run the ball, and you keep Kansas City on the field. And I think that gave Houston, even though Houston has some different personnel, an idea of, hey, this is maybe how we need to tackle and view the matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Rams, it's the same thing. You know, the Rams have been now in a few games where teams have had success stopping them or even getting the better of their defense, and I think that gave San Francisco something on film to look at. So that's why the conversation about a team back in September when you're previewing the season, you're looking at the roster, you're looking at the paper test. Now you give teams film, you take personnel out of the equation because of injuries, it completely changes the dynamics of games week in and week out. And I think that pertains to the four teams that the caller was referencing because a lot has changed within those four teams right now. Scott New Mexico is up next. Hey, Scott. Hi, guys. Uh, I want to thank you both. You stole my thunder on both points I was going to make. Well, so, good talking to you, Scott. We'll speak to you next week. Have a good one. I guess I should hang up now because I was going to talk about time of differential. And obviously, you've already addressed it, so I won't go into it again. And also, I was going to talk about, um, but, but before I get to my next point, I, I want to ask you on the time of differential. Is there a way that schematically you can change certain things to eliminate some of that? Now, I don't mean simply just fumble less and throw less interceptions, but from a schematic point of view, is there a way where, for example, Pat Shermer can go to to uh, Daniel Jones and say, after, say, three Mississippi or whatever he has in his head, just get rid of the ball, period. And it doesn't matter whether you're hoping to get a play because all quarterbacks want to hold on to the ball to try to find an open receiver. Yeah, you can. You can, Scott. But then you're taking away maybe some of his strengths of trying to get the ball down the field and he'll become more of like a kind of a check down Charlie. And I'm not sure you want to do that to him. I think... I I think you want to put him out there and let him make those mistakes. And I think until a quarterback goes into games and makes these types of mistakes, they're not going to get better. So while they might be frustrating now, you know, these interceptions are part of a learning process. And as he makes these mistakes and has these turnovers, you know, one thing that we've heard about Jones universally praised about him has been the fact he doesn't repeat mistakes. So we'll see in four or five weeks if he's still making these same mistakes. Then, yeah, then then you have a conversation about how you might have to adjust the game plan maybe a little bit, but for now the guy's made only a, a few NFL starts. Let him figure this out, and there's going to be some growing pains along the way, and that's fine. Okay, um, my next point has to do with what Lance was just talking about. Because this is such a game of attrition, if you looked at the Dallas game, they were missing both tackles. Amari Cooper was out. You look at Philadelphia, and they lost Jason Peters yesterday. They don't have Deshaun Jackson. Oh, Peters got hurt. I didn't see that. Yeah, Peters got hurt. 
And so I'm wondering if it really comes down to injuries, which it seems to do throughout the league. Whoever's strongest at the end really has the upper hand. Because to your point, Lance, it really is maybe a one play here or one play there that really can make the difference in a game. And it was proven in the New England game with the, you know, the block punt. So I'm just wondering, since games come down to maybe one play or two plays, is injury really the thing that's most disconcerting? And to that point, and I'll take this answer off the air, I'm a little concerned about uh, Sterling Shepard because I don't know if you heard that Jordan Reed, his career might be over because of the concussions that he suffered. And I'm just wondering how serious the injury is with Sterling Shepard, and if, we, if, if you think it's going to be long-term as opposed to short-term. Thank you, Thanks, Scott. Guys. Yes, Scott, appreciate, appreciate the phone call. Concussions are different for every player. Obviously, if you have two in a short period of time, you worry about it. They'll put them through all the tests. They'll let the medical professionals handle that. They'll let the NFL neurologists handle all that. They'll go through the protocol, and they will make sure that he will not come back and play until he's ready. And it, we can't really speculate more than that. Uh, Pat Shermer really isn't even allowed to talk about it. He was asked a lot about that today. He can't talk about it, so we're certainly not going to talk about it. They'll do all the proper precautions and make him do all go through the test and the protocol that the NFL has set forth to make sure these guys you know, are safe in the way they play the game, and we'll see how it turns out. I really can't say much more about it than that. It's also a privacy matter, too, for the players. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why you have to walk a fine line when you're a head coach. Uh, With Jordan Reed, who Scott brought up as a comparison, and yes, Jordan Reed has had to deal with numerous concussions. We're talking about the Redskins' tight end, of course, who was just placed on season-ending IR. Keep in mind, though, Jordan Reed has been plagued by multiple injuries during the course of his career. He's had knee issues, hip issues. I mean, I even posted this on Twitter. He's on IR for... Each of the last three years, four out of seven years in the league. It has been a far more continuous trend with Jordan Reed than I think any concern with respect to Sterling Shepard. Now, piggybacking off of John's point, I'm not here to speculate about when he's going to come back, what the outlook is for this season, but I just don't think Jordan Reed, John, is somebody that I would throw into the same conversation with Sterling Shepard because Reed, unfortunately, has just been sidelined year after year. Shepard, yes, has he had to deal with injuries? Absolutely. But he was playing very well. It's unfortunate when you have somebody sidelined via concussion. And hopefully he'll be back on the field sooner rather than later. But, you know, just in a generic sense, remember, concussions are a serious thing. It's a big part of the NFL dialogue. Every player is different. You know, no one, whether they're associated with the team or an independent doctor, is going to dismiss it because they know that obviously there are consequences as a result of this. So Sterling Shepard's going to go through the process like every other player. There's no shortcuts in this process. Some of these things, John, are also out of the hands of the Giants because the independent doctors that are involved in this process which the NFL brought in was for that very reason, to take it out of the team's control. So, you know, when you ask about, you know, what's going to happen, I think the Giants also need to see how things play out based on individuals that have no association with the team, too. All right, let's wrap it up with our final call. Alex down in Dallas. Alex, what's up? Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm a first-time caller from uh, Dallas. Awesome. So, so Alex, is, is it complete panic time down there for Cowboy fans? Uh, yeah, I was listening on the radio. I'm actually on my way to Austin for work, but yeah, I was listening on the radio and they were digging into the Cowboys. Uh, they're talking about all kinds of stuff. Stephen Jones, they're thinking, talking about firing Jason Garrett. So it's all interesting to hear. It makes me for a happy Sunday. Eagles lost, <laughs> Cowboys lost. 
life's good down here. But, uh, yeah, I was just uh, a longtime Giant fan. I'm originally from Framus, New Jersey, and moved here when I was younger. So I've been stuck going to Dallas games. Last time I went was uh, JPP blocked that field goal. So, nice, uh, yeah. Bit, love the show. Uh, awesome. I just started paying attention this year, so I'm not as long tenure to some of the other guys, but I uh, love what you guys do. Thank you. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, for sure. So I had a couple questions um, in terms of like rotational wise, because sure. I know Carter was injured with a neck injury and he's back in the mix. Uh, I was wondering if you guys happen to know with Zimenez uh, and Carter uh, and Golden, what's the rotation looking like in between those? Is one getting a little bit more time than the others? Um, yeah, well, I can tell you real quick, Alex. Golden Golden plays the most snaps pretty consistently in that group. He played 70% against the Patriots. Zimenez played 63% of the snaps, and Carter played 61% of the snaps. So that is a pretty even distribution between those three guys of those pass rusher snaps. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. All right, awesome. Yeah, because that sack fumble from Carter was pretty awesome, and I like the little piece that uh, he said that what was on his bucket list was to yep. get Tom Brady down, yep. so that was pretty cool. Um, and then the last question I had for you guys is uh, we're getting closer to the bye week. Um, I know it was kind of disheartening to see that Sam Beal go down with the hamstring injury and get put on IR. Was that more because uh, they just felt like he was going to be like a long time? They just didn't feel like he'd be ready for the roster? Or, I mean, I'm just trying to get a little bit more gazing on like what the rotation would be like with them. Because I know Antonio Hamilton, beginning with switching with Baker. Baker's been emerging. He's been looking really good as of late. Um, so I know it's been a knee issue back then. I was just trying to get more of a line of, do you yeah. think they would probably throw Sam Beal in from some snaps? Because I know in the beginning of training camp, he was getting some snaps at the one uh, with uh, the rest of Jack Rabbit and Baker in there as well. So I was just trying to get your gauge on what his role would be when if, if he'd come back and when he'd come back with the team. Yeah, yeah, Alex, no problem. Thanks for the call, pal. Appreciate it. Um, look, I don't think you rotate outside corners in. I think he's either one of your top two outside corners or he's not. And right now, Baker and Jenkins are your top two outside corners. Beal is not a slot guy. He's not a nickel guy. So he's not going to go in there and play for Grant Haley. So I don't know how quickly he's going to go back in and play unless there's a problem with either Jenkins or Baker. Yeah, also, we got to wait and see if they're going to activate him, too. I- I'm not saying that I know anything, but just because a guy's on IR, John, does not mean that he's guaranteed to come back. He's eligible to come back, but the Giants are going to have to make a decision, and sometimes that would involve having to clearly remove somebody else from the roster. So let's see what the health of the team is like when those eight weeks expire. And then I think that will give the Giants an indication of what they can afford to take off of the roster, yeah, too. And, and I don't think you, you, they're not going to let go of Ballantyne or Julian Love. So okay. the other defensive backs you're looking at are Sean Chandler, who's really more of a safety. Or you have a guy like um, Hamilton, who's a, one of their best special teams players. So you're right. That is going to be a tough decision. Or will they find a guy at a different position to take off the and roster? And then bring we'll on another defensive back. Yeah, But once again, the health of the team at that point, John, I think determines that. Correct. You know, it was just like Benny Fowler was let go and then brought back. Well, the wide receiver position has changed. Nate Stupar was let go and brought back. Well... The circumstances surrounding the linebacker have changed. So that can't be dismissed when you look at those decisions. I got two tweets. It's time for tweets. Let's Giants chat. All right, Danny Collada, he has a question similar to the one we just got from Alex down in Dallas. 
Uh, he asked about Beal, but I'm going to cut that part of the question out because we just talked about Beal. He wants to know if we think we'll see more of Corey Ballantyne and Julian Love as the season progresses. And I think, you know, Ballantyne, I think we would file under the same category as um, Beal because he's an outside cornerback. He's not a slot guy. We're seeing him on special teams as a kick returner. So unless there's an injury, I'm not sure we're going to see him play more as an outside corner. I don't think he's a slot guy. He did do a little bit of that in, in the summer, but I don't think that's what his future is, especially for a guy that is young. This, you know That position, the, the nickel spot, is a lot of additional responsibilities and run support, blitzing, things like that. Then Julian Love, I think, is more interesting because he's a guy that can also play that nickel spot in, in place of Dan uh, uh, Granhalla. He has experience doing that from college, while Ballantyne and Buell were just outside guys. But he could also be a guy that if they decide they want to make a move at free safety, he could maybe play that spot if they he decide they want to take Antoine Bethea out. So I think you have a better shot at love because of his versatility than you do the, of Ballantyne. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think Julian Love's versatility, what he brings to the table, is very different from what Ballantyne brings to the table. So if they decide that they're going to make a change, then he would most likely see the field because he could play inside. At this point, let's face it, you're not going to take, as you alluded to earlier, John, you're not going to take Jenkins or Baker off the field just to give playing time to another guy unless you want to give him a breather. Now, the interesting thing this week is that the Cardinals, though injuries at wide receiver have kind of changed their strategy a little bit, they had been going a lot of four wide receiver sets. Christian Kirk, if he comes back, maybe they'll go back to that, in which case you might have to put another cornerback on the field, which means maybe you will see Corey Ballantyne this week. Who knows? We'll see. But that's what I would keep an eye on with that. Our other tweet I wanted to get to was from Dylan Davis. Wants to talk about David Mayo. Since coming into the game against the Redskins, Mayo has 31 total tackles, placing him third on the team. Only in three games he's been in slash started. Definitely a dark horse this year. I agree. I think Mayo's played well, Lance. I think he's been good against the run. He's very good, you know, finding his good gap uh, integrity, good gap responsibility. Gets where he needs to go. I'm not sure he'll ever be a guy you're going to want covering people in space. But against the run, I think he's done a pretty darn good job. He's been very active. He's actually set a career high in tackles in each of those three games. So his production has gone up. And he's got a knack for finding the holes and getting out into open space and bringing guys down. So, you know, that's the whole point of why they brought him on the roster. They wanted him to be productive. Dave Gettleman certainly had familiarity with him going back to Carolina. And opportunity is a big part of the National Football League. Just because a guy was a special team or elsewhere, now you want to see what he can do, test his true colors when he's thrown in as a every-down defensive player. And so far, David Mayo has answered the call. And it's always good for the Giants to have depth and options at that position, considering, John, the amount of injuries that have stockpiled specifically at the interior linebacker spot. Lance, fun show. Absolutely. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. That's today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. We'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode at 1.30. That'll be Paul Dettino and Russ Salzberg, and they will take you from 1.30 to 2.30 on Giants.com and on the Giants mobile app. And by the way, if you didn't know, you can also find Big Blue Kickoff Live on the Giants audio podcast feed on all your favorite podcast platforms. It's in the same feed with all like the media availability and stuff, so you have to kind of sift through it a little bit. But all the shows do get up there on a daily basis. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmunk. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.30 for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Uh, a good one.